We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. Good morning. Well, as uh, Warren introduced, this morning we're doing a, uh, we're carrying on the series on loving your neighbour, which is something uh, I love. It's an area in which I work and I think it's uh, really uh, important and it's a serious subject. So this morning I want to I kick off by asking you a very serious question and it's this, how far would you go for your beliefs? How far would you go? What actions would you take to demonstrate that you really believe what you believe. Would you, for example, go as far as the ancient Greek philosopher Socrates, who was sentenced to death for disrespecting the Greek gods, and though he could have easily got out of his death sentence, he drank hemlock poison and he died in order to prove his assertion that death should not be feared. Would you go that far? Or what about the German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer? I've just read a book about his life, fascinating guy. And he uh, died at the end of a length of piano wire under the Nazis towards the end of World War II because of his belief that what the Nazis were doing to the church and to the Jews was, was fundamentally and absolutely wrong. Would you go that far? Or what about Kwang Duk? He set himself on fire in 1963 as a protest to demonstrate his belief that the way the Vietnamese government was treating Buddhists was absolutely wrong. Would you go that far? Would you go that far for your belief in Jesus, assuming you have one, would you go that far? Would you face torture? Would you face death? Because many Christians have. Many Christians still do. Would you go that far for your beliefs? Or what if I asked you to help your neighbor move house? What if, what if I asked you to help the old lady down the road weed her garden? What if I asked you to sit and listen to a lonely person for a few hours? Would you go that far for your beliefs? Now, that doesn't sound like too big of a price relatively to those other guys, right? That doesn't sound like too big a a price to pay for our faith in Christ, does it? And yet, when we're asked to love our neighbor with deeds rather than just words, we find that these things feel like a bit of a burden, don't they? I mean, me too. These things suddenly seem like a big hill to climb. And we find ourselves suddenly preoccupied with something else. Suddenly we've got a, a family event, or it's, it's not our gifting, or I'm really just, I'm quite busy with work at the moment. But what if, what if that was not the case? What if we all, in the face of these opportunities to love our neighbours with actions, what if we all stood up and we embraced those opportunities? What if we really showed our faith to the community out there with good deeds? What would that look like? Well, two weeks ago, Warren kicked off this series talking about praying for your neighbor, and then last week, Jonty talked about intentionally building relationships in the community. This morning, I have the privilege of talking about 
loving your neighbor with actions, with good works or uh, with good deeds. And, and this is the one where we talk about all of that stuff we could be doing out in the community as you shift uncomfortably in your seats. You know, it's the kind of stuff that happens on a Saturday morning, usually quite early. It's the kind of stuff maybe your husband or wife volunteers you for because you weren't here. It's the kind of stuff you sometimes feel a little bit pressured to get involved in when you'd really rather put your feet up after a long week at work. And fair enough, right? It's that, it's that stuff. And so you might be expecting, given the topic, that this morning I'm going to give you a liberal dose of guilt so that you can all feel a little bit uh, squeamish, a little bit squirmy in your seat. But let me tell you, this is not that. Let me tell you, I will not be throwing any guilt in your direction today because guilt is a really bad motivator for anything. Guilt only lasts as long as you can sustain it for, and that's usually not very long. In fact, a wise man once said that trying to motivate people with guilt is like trying to wear a suit made out of tissue paper in a storm. It doesn't feel very good, it doesn't last very long, and at the end of the day, we all end up feeling ashamed and embarrassed. So let's go a little bit deeper than guilt. This morning, I want to explore what it means to, to love your neighbor with actions and what, what it means to see a community transform through good deeds. And I want to explore three things about this subject. The first is, is why doing good deeds is so very important. And the second is what it looks like when this defines the church. And then finally, I want to look at what it would look like if this defined us here at St. Martin's C3. But let's begin with the importance of good deeds. If you've got your, your Bibles, now's the time to uh, grab them, and we're going to be in James chapter 2. That's where we're going to anchor ourselves. Now, just to give you a bit of an introduction to the book of James, it's a, it's a really interesting book. If you're familiar with Martin Luther, this is the one book he wanted to kick out of the Bible, because it's tough. It does make you feel a little bit uh, uncomfortable. And it was written by James, uh, also known as James the Just. He was the half-brother of Jesus, the brother of Jude, who also had another book in the New Testament. And he was one of the key leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And the church in Jerusalem, when he's writing the book, is, is, is facing some issues. Uh, it's probably written not long after what we read about in Acts chapter 7, when uh, Stephen is the first martyr, he's stoned, and all of a sudden, everything's gone chaotic. And a lot of the Christian Jews have dispersed, they've left Jerusalem, they've, they've gone out, and they're learning to grapple with, it, what it, with what it means to be the church under increasing hostility. And so James uh, picks up his pen, and he shares with them a kind of a list of really pithy thoughts. He's addressing a whole bunch of issues in his book. And in that way, it's, it's, the book is quite different from you know, Paul's sort of sweeping theology. It's, it's just a bunch of hard-focused thoughts, kind of a, a manual on, on how you live in, uh, in a hostile world as the, the church. In fact, it's quite similar in, in some aspects to the book of Proverbs. Now, we're going to start in the middle of chapter 2, but just to give you some 
context. Uh, James has been talking about facing trials. That's very relevant to these people. He's talked about doing what the word says rather than just listening to it. That's important context. And he has just talked about the importance of not showing favoritism to the rich, but also favoring the poor among you. And then he jumps in with this passage. We'll start at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. Wow, James does not mince words, does he? He goes right for the jugular. That's why this is a tough book. That's why this is a tough verse. And there's been a lot of tough section. There's been a lot of argument about this over the years. And I want to just go right out there and set something aside. Because a lot of people have read this passage and said, ah, James is saying you need to be saved by good works, not just by faith. Well, let me right away say James is not saying that at all. James in no way is contradicting Paul's assertion that you're saved by faith alone. Not at all. What he is saying is that faith always changes us. That a genuine, saving, living, real faith will always show in our lives in tangible ways. James is saying that faith is inherently designed to lead to good works. There is a an inescapable connection between faith and works. And what does he mean by faith, or rather by, by works? Good deeds, good works, action, he uses those three terms. Well, he answers that as well. What he says, at least in part, is, is good works is about meeting people's felt needs. It's not just words. It's not just good intentions. It's not even just praying for them. It is about taking action and meeting real needs. And what needs? Whatever needs they have. Now, in this case, it's about clothing and it's about food, but it could be anything. It it could be a house to live in. It could be companionship. It could be education. It could be health care. The what is not really point. The point James is making is if we are not taking real action to meet needs, then our faith is no good. If the faith we have in Christ and his death and his resurrection and his forgiveness, if that, if that is not transforming us into people who meet needs, then maybe our faith is not real. Maybe our faith is dead. Now that word that we get as dead uh, from the New Testament is a really interesting word in Greek. It's the word nekros, and you may be able to think of some words uh, in our modern language that come from that. What it means is corpse. Okay, this is really colourful language that he's using here. What he's saying is that if your faith is not leading you to uh, good works, then it's like, it's like a zombie. 
it's, it's faith that's just pretending to be alive, but it's not alive, it's dead. It's zombie faith. Whew, man alive. How you feeling? It hits pretty hard, doesn't it? That's James for you. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this confrontation from James? Because that's what it is. This is getting your face stuff, and he's saying, come on, guys, this is serious. Now, some of you will be a little bit like me, and you will tend towards self-condemnation. You will say, you know what? I'm not doing this. I'm not worthy. I'm a terrible person. God is unhappy with me. Well, let me speak to, to you for a moment. That's not particularly helpful. And Paul says in the beginning of Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That kind of talk, that kind of thinking has, has no part in our brains at all. Don't, don't do that. But should James's words prompt the little sober self-reflection in our lives? Yeah. Yeah, I think they should. I think we need to think very, very seriously about what he is saying here. And if, if loving your neighbor with actions, with deeds, with good works, if that is not part of your walk with God, then something is wrong. It should not be like this. Maybe you've let this slip, or worse still, maybe you have just decided this is not a calling on your life, or this is not meant for you. Well, if you are looking for a little comfort from me, a nice, a nice out from what James is saying, you are not going to get it. This is for all of you. It's for me, it's for all of us. And you know what? Here's, here's your second Greek lesson for the morning. Another word I love in Greek is the word that we get as repent. And repent it sounds like a big heavy word. But what it means, uh, the word in Greek is metanoia. Meta means change, like metamorphosis of a butterfly, right? Noia is your mind, like paranoia. Okay? What it means is change your mind. That's what it means to repent. Change your mind. Now, our growth as believers, the, the fruit of the Spirit in our life, that is God's responsibility. God is the one that changes us. But he will not do it against our will. He will not force us to grow as believers. We need to get our mind in line with him. And he will change our heart, and he will change our actions. But it begins with a change of mind. So if you're sitting there feeling a little bit uncomfortable this morning, then maybe what you need is a little change of mind. Maybe you need to see this a little bit differently. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to ask God to change your heart and recognize that loving your neighbor with good works, with good deeds, is every bit as central to the life of a Christian as reading your Bible and praying to God and coming together like this. It ain't an optional extra. It ain't a tack on. It ain't a if you've got time for it kind of thing. No, no, it's right in the core. It's James's point. It's right in the center. It's incredibly important. So don't beat yourself up. But don't excuse yourself either. You see, the, the church meeting physical needs through the hands and, and feet of believers has always been the norm. And if, if we maybe have let this slip a little bit, then we need to reclaim it and make it the norm once again. And that's the second thing I want to inspire and encourage us with, is, is what does it look like? What does it really look like when this kind of work 
really defines the church. And we're going to go two places. We're going to go around the world a little bit, but we're going to start by going back in time. And we're going to look particularly at the the church's legacy in healthcare. It's just one of many different facets of caring for people. Now, did you know that by the second century AD, within about 70 years of James writing his book, the church had fully organized systems for providing for the sick and the dying within their communities. It had become pretty well established by then. Now, need, that doesn't sound that extraordinary to us, but you need to understand this just did not happen in the world of the day. This was nonsensical to the people that the church said, yep, you know what, that's what we're going to do. We're going to care for the sick in our community. Extraordinary stuff. And then in the third century, as plague ravaged the Roman world, the church mobilized on a huge scale, sent massive amounts of, of money and of people into the very cities where people were suffering from the plague to care for, to look after the sick and the dying. And broadly speaking, no one else did in the world, just the church. And then we jump another hundred years and we go to Antioch in Syria and we read from a historian who says this church, this strange group, was looking after 3,000 widows and unmarried women as well as the sick, the poor and travellers. It was just the norm. It was just what the church did. It was not that big a deal. It's just what they did. And then by the late 300s, we see the church establishing hospitals, the first hospitals as we know them in the Roman world. And then gradually over the next few hundred years, these churches begin to, rather these hospitals begin to appear wherever the church is, right on into modern times. It's part of the legacy of the church. See, the care of the sick and the elderly and the dying and widows and orphans and refugees, we in this time, we just take that as common sense, that a reasonable society would look after these people, but it's not common sense. It's Christian sense. It's something very unique to us. These things are our legacy. These are our our heritage. These things are our identity in this world. The church has always stood out because of its care for the needy. It has always grown because of the testimony of of actions and deeds. And, And people become part of the church because they go along to the church and they want to say, why do you people do these things? You know, when, when people in the ancient world fled plagues and diseases, it was our spiritual ancestors that flooded in at, at the risk of their own lives to care for these people. And when, when babies in the Roman world were thrown out and abandoned by people, it was our spiritual ancestors that took them in and looked after them. And even today, as we look around the world to the places where the church is growing most rapidly, you know what you see? This stuff. You see this legacy, this thing that we own. This is our legacy. You see it being honored, and you see the church growing as a result. Now, uh, Bright Hope World that I work for partners with churches around the world to help alleviate poverty and to uh, share and spread the gospel 
And I tell you, the reason I'm, I'm sharing this stuff today is because I've been so impacted by what the church around the world has done in, in the last six months as a result of this terrible COVID-19 crisis. And you know where we've seen the most extraordinary actions by the church? In the place where the church is most persecuted. And we've got a partner in uh, northern India. And these guys, boy, they get it rough. They are persecuted by local Hindu groups. They are persecuted by local Muslim groups. They are persecuted by the government. And they are particularly persecuted by the local police who have... Uh, ransacked their homes and, and beaten them for as long as I can remember, for at least the last decade. And then when COVID hit the area, the, uh, the church mobilized and they made, as of Tuesday, because I got an email from them, they have made 16,844 cloth face masks to give away into the very communities that have been persecuting them for most of their lives. Because the poor people in these communities cannot afford these face masks, so they're, they're just making them, and they're going out into the community. And what's extraordinary is that the relationships with the local community have been radically transformed. The people are astounded by this. And in fact, as the pastor went out in, in one area handing out these face masks, the police went with them because they wanted to show their support. The police that were beating them are now saying, we want to align with you. We love what you're doing. This is what the church told us. This is a quote. We and the churches have believers who now find themselves living within communities where fear and despair is widespread and who are joyfully and sacrificially serving their friends and neighbors, being the hands and feet and mouth of Jesus Christ. It is a time of great hardship, yet a time of great opportunity. We plan to reach out to at least 2,000 families. As of yesterday, I got contact with them. They have connected with 1,744 families in their community, built relationship with them in that time. Extraordinary. Let's jump to Africa, to one of the toughest, hardest, poorest areas of Zimbabwe. And one of our uh, church partners, they're extraordinary people. They have been connecting with the poor, which is pretty much everyone in, in this area, and they've been helping to protect themselves against COVID because there ain't a lot of medical care available for these people. And so what they've done is they've given them soap. They have uh, taught them about hygiene and have helped raise their awareness about how COVID has spread so the people can protect themselves. And then they've also provided agricultural training so they can grow crops and feed their families. Now, one curious thing about this uh, area, when our partners got involved with it, is the uh, Zimbabwean police were about to build a big barracks in this area because crime was so rampant in this community, they said, we need to have people based here. It was a really dangerous place. But the, the church, our partner, mobilised and, and began working with the local community to reduce poverty and, and fight crime and particularly strengthen families. And as of maybe a year ago now, the police said not only are they not going to build a barracks, they're not even going to put a police station there because the rates of crime are so low. Boy, that's what going out and loving your neighbour with action does. Transforms communities. And this stuff is happening 
all over Africa and the Middle East and, and Asia and, and South America, and the church is growing. You see a correlation between this type of stuff and the place where we hear the church is growing. It's not a coincidence. See, these churches, they, they just see needs and they flood out into the communities out of love for people and in service to God, and they see transformation. Their, their faith is it's not the zombie kind. It's, it's the real kind. It's the get-up-and-go kind. And for them to take this kind of action is just normal. It is just a natural outworking of the relationships they have with Christ. And I tell you, they sing with joy and they praise their God richly because of what they're seeing happen among them. Wouldn't you like to see that here? Wouldn't you like to see that in this community? Oh boy, I would. I'd love that very much. That's the kind of church I want to be part of. And I tell you, that's the kind of church we can be. No problem. We can do that. Absolutely we can do that. But there is a cost. Because we have to take action. We have to let our faith prompt us towards good deeds, good works, towards action. And I tell you, when we do it, oh, people will notice. In 2018, there was a study conducted in New Zealand. It's called Faith and Belief in New Zealand. And it looked at how New Zealand society regards the church. Now, we might be inclined to think that the world out there thinks we're a little bit irrelevant and a little bit weird. But this is what the study found. Two-thirds of Kiwis value the church's work in looking after people that are homeless, offering financial assistance or food relief programs, and providing aged care facilities. Two-thirds of the people out there value that. More than half of Kiwis value the work of the church in the offering of chaplaincy and meeting the practical needs of refugees. So people notice. The people outside these doors recognize our role in meeting needs even if we don't. They want us to take action even when we don't want to. They value it. So what might it look like if this is what defined St. Martin's three, C3? Not just, not just the norm, but it's what defined us, what characterized us as a local community church. What would it be like if our core identity as, as a church was to be relentlessly meeting community needs? What would it be like if we took the gospel out with us and we built with relationships with the people out there and we served them tirelessly? Well, I tell you, we would see people come to faith. I truly believe that. In Acts 6, the Jerusalem church that James led was, was grappling with one of these issues. They had uh, a group of, of Greek-speaking Jews that were being, uh, the, their widows were being ignored in the distribution of food. They were missing out, and a need was brought to them, and they said, well, okay, we're, we're going to organize something. And they did, and they, they organized, and they met this need in a, in a very practical, simple way. And do you know what the immediate response is? The very next verse in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, this is what happens. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Immediately after this. Why? Because people noticed what the church did. They noticed how the church 
operated. They noticed that these people did not just talk and, and worship and pray, which are all vital things, but they also took action. They identified needs and, and they met them because that was who they were, because the love in their hearts, the love from Christ compelled them to go out into their communities. They could do no other. Now, there are some fantastic ministries here at C3, and I would particularly acknowledge Total Rock and Cameo as being real exemplars in that, but most of us aren't involved in them. Most of us are not involved in a community ministry at all, are we? But what if we all were? What if we all had a role? What if we were all using our giftings and our talents in some way, fitting somehow into that jigsaw puzzle? What if we were all activated to go out and serve this community of St. Martin's? Might we not see people come to faith like the church in Jerusalem did? Yeah, I think we would. Absolutely we would. We might find that this room is not big enough for all the people that want to come out and find out about this Jesus that would cause us to go out onto the streets and serve the people of this community. I believe as we organized ourselves and figured out what the needs were in this community, because we can't assume that we know, right? We've got to go and figure out what these needs are. But I believe the very process of asking people will start conversations that have a kingdom impact. And I believe as we seek to minister to the lonely and the anxious and the depressed and the isolated in St. Martin's in this community, I believe we will see lives changed. We will see relationships restored. We will see hearts healed. I believe that. I believe that as we glorify our God by stepping out of this comfortable space and going out, just like Jesus did, among the people and taking his love to the people and we take his forgiveness with us, I, I believe that God will be glorified by that. And I believe as we walk and work together as a community, we will find our singing is sweeter and our teaching has more meaning and, and our fellowship is enriched by all the stories we have to tell by what God is doing out in this community. I believe it will not just transform them, it will transform us. Not going and doing all our own things separately, but actually working arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, together in a coordinated way. I think that would transform us hugely. So let me ask, do you want this? Does this make your spirit sore? Does this enliven you? Is this something that you want? If it does, then here's my question. How far would you go for your beliefs? Would you cross the road? Over there? Would you walk down the street? Would you walk into an elderly person's room and sit and have a cup of tea and a chat with them? Would you help a total rock? Would you weed a sick person's garden? Would you sit and listen to the troubles of a solo parent? Is your faith alive or is it, is it just pretending to be? Today's a real good day to figure out the answer to that question. I believe that God is really asking St. Martin C3 to prepare and to step up and to serve the needs 
of the community in which he has placed us. Now, for some of us, maybe for most of us, that will involve and require a little mind change, a little repentance. But if we, if we look at our legacy and history of the church and if we draw inspiration from our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world and, and the extraordinary things that they are doing, we will see that whatever sacrifice, whatever small sacrifice we have to make to go and serve this community is so worth it. If you agree, I would encourage you to stand with me and pray and ask God to empower us to do what must be done. And if you need to repent, repent now. Stand and pray. Oh, Father, we know that you ask everything of us. You ask us to take up our cross every day. You ask us to die to ourselves. And you ask us to have eyes for the needs in our community. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom as we seek to show love. I pray that you will change our hearts and give us your energy, your love, and your power to take you into this community. And Father, where we find ourselves resisting your call, where we find ourselves looking for an exclusion, a way out of what your son James has written, Lord, help us to repent. Help us to change our minds. Help help us to acknowledge and recognize that we maybe have ignored this, that we maybe have uh, gotten a little too comfortable, that, Lord, we need to change. Lord, help us to commit to you. Help us to leave that thinking behind. Lord, help us to change. Help us to grow. Help us to transform so that we could be agents of transformation in this community. Lord, we don't do this out of guilt. Lord, I pray that where anyone feels that, that you would help them to deal with it and put it behind them. Lord, we do it out of love because you have given us everything. And we want to take a little bit of that and give it to others. Lord, as was the intention from the start. Lord, help us to be faithful in that mission. Help us to be servants. Help us to be people of love and action. Lord, let it start today. Let let today be the day where we make the turn, we make the change that we need to make to be powerful in your name in this community. We ask this with all our hearts, Lord, in your name. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.